Hi everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the sleepy founding creative director here at House Conspiracy. Today I'm speaking with Bree Lee, prolific freelance writer, memoirist, and editor of Hot Chicks with Big Brains. She's great, and this is a really interesting chat we've got ahead, sort of about writing, the writing industry, and about balancing not, not really just work and life, but about balancing the sorts of different kinds of work we do within the quote-unquote creative industries. Anyway, some housekeeping. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and if you're on iTunes, if you could give us a rating and a review, that'd be wild. It really helps. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at House Conspiracy, and you can visit our website to see how we can support you at houseconspiracy.org. If you want to support us in other ways, you can head to houseconspiracy.org slash donate or slash volunteer, and you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org. Now, on to the show. Brie Lee has kept the house conspiracy's writer's room pretty simple and clean. She's constructing a garden of indoor plants and climbers to go up the makeshift wall we built during renovations because she wants to give the writer's room a little bit more life and make it a little less plain. For now, though, there's a calendar of sexy firemen hung up where the garden will go. There are no marks on any of the dates in the calendar, and although Brie claims she brought it because she was told each and every hunk would be holding a puppy, the current photo does not have any puppies at all. And yet still the calendar remains open. Make your own conclusions, is what I'm saying. But jokes aside, Brie is impressive. Um, Brie runs a magazine, um, Hot Chicks with Big Brains. Uh, she writes full-time and is working on a memoir, Eggshell Skull, for which she has a book deal with Alan and Unwin. Um, that's going to be out in 2018, and we talk a lot about the process and politics of memoir in this issue, particularly memoir by young people, and Brie is very articulate. And so I think we can let the calendar thing slide. Anyway, here's Brie Lee. You tell me what? <laughs> no, I'll say it. What are you telling? No, no, tell me. Tell oh, me. no, I'm just going to say being No, we're here. already rolling. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're being hot mic'd right now. I'm basically the Obama to your Donald Trump. You're being hot, you're being hot mic'd right now, oh, allegedly. Oh, Jesus. It's all alleged. It's fine. Um, no, I was just going to say, like, being here has made me realize that I really, I work a lot better and I'm a lot more productive when I have somewhere to go to. And I knew that that would be the case, but I didn't realize how good it would make me feel. Like having, having like a, an office-y... Yeah. Like I knew that I would be more productive and so therefore it was like a logical thing. Like, okay, I need to get my freelancing slash like my business, whatever I do, I need to get it to a stage where having some sort of external working space is like financially not a stupid, crazy, um, unnecessary overhead. I knew that that, uh, that that's something that I was working towards because it would then just, you know, work back on itself and increase my productivity. But what I didn't suspect was, like, how good it makes me feel to have somewhere to come and work and that actually one of the reasons I am so much more productive is because I'm just, like, happier and it feels better and... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, you wrote in your application you have peer life for your home. So do you work... 
Do you have a separate study area where you're, where you're working at home or are you working in your bedroom? So I just moved house three weeks ago, mm-hmm. like one week. Or maybe it's like I moved house two and a half weeks ago because I moved into my new place one week before my house conspiracy residency started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is the first time in my entire life that my desk where I work is not in my bedroom. That's a dream. Um, I, And even that has like fundamentally altered the way I can work and think about my work positively Uh, yes yes because it's like not right next to where my fucking bed is like what no this is my job this is what i do for work and so i actually bought myself a standing desk which is something that i have been nerding out about hardcore for a very long time yeah yeah. was it which which brand was a very desk the one that's on all the podcasts? No, 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 no. No, because um, I This podcast one is not sponsored, sponsored by very Desk. Desk. <laughs> no. oh. um, I wanted, a, and I didn't want, <laughs> I wanted to go all out. I didn't want, like, some normal schmuck sitting desk that then had a weird clunky thing on top of it. I wanted an actual desk that is standing height. Mm-hmm. And so what I've got is, like, a beautifully, like, industrial level like plain white structure from mm-hmm. office works where you just crank the handle yes, and it can sweet. be sitting or standing and it is amazing so yeah, cool yeah so like from the time that i started house conspiracy i have a desk that's not in my bedroom and i have an actual desk to come and work at and i feel like electricity has been plugged into my like veins it is it changed changed everything just in terms of um sort of what you're working on while you're being that productive what 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 are you working on at the moment you obviously have three things that you split yourself across so Mm -hmm. speak to that maybe okay so the three things that i do the first is um just freelancing writing content creation Mm -hmm. um some of it's stuff i care about like i'll write um I'm working on a new series at the moment for Kill Your Darlings. It's like interviews with lots of different memoir memoir writers and it's called Memoir at Any Age. And like, so that's freelancing that I get paid for that I actually also care about. But then I also do sometimes like more boring freelancey stuff that's like corporate writing or whatever because it pays a lot better. So I just try and, yeah, write for money. Um, and then I'm also working on my first book called eggshell skull it's narrative non-fiction about women in the law and sexism in the justice system and that's due to my publisher in august um and we've previously spoken about august is a year away august is so far away yeah um and then the third thing i do is that i'm the founding editor and manager of the feminist magazine and community hot chicks with big brains and that has been um like swallowing a lot of my time wonderfully you know like um but for the past couple of weeks because we're taking submissions for issue three we've almost sold out of issue two like really almost sold out um and we've like sort of had potentially someone come on board and say they want to place a huge pre-order for issue three or maybe issue four or maybe they want to sponsor some kind of publication and it's just like this little passion project baby thing mutant that I created in my bedroom three years ago is like finally getting to the stage where I have to and am delighted to like take it seriously but that means that it's a whole lot of time and like business time Mm. emailing the excel spreadsheet time 
Yeah, which we were yep. spoke, speaking about, I guess, is that you've been doing a lot more of that here than maybe you'd anticipate it. Oh, absolutely. Which is, I mean, one of the, my favorite things about my lifestyle at the moment is that I'm never bored every mm-hmm. single week. Not even every single week, every single two to three days looks completely different. And I never, ever want to lose sight of how grateful I am for that because it's exactly the reason why I quit law. Like yeah. I did law stuff for a year. Well, after, you know, six years of it at uni. But then I worked in the industry for a year and I felt like my life was being stolen from me because every day looked the same. And that was in like one of the more, most interesting parts of the legal You were profession. traveling a lot for that job. Yeah, right? yeah. And like working with criminal law where you see different stuff every day. But I still just couldn't shake this feeling like my the narrative of my life that I wasn't writing my own life narrative. What's the difference there? Like, I guess in terms of sameness, like even though, like you said, it's different in the criminal law, what about your lifestyle now is more significantly different day to day than that maybe was? Oh my God. Everything like from the absolute beginning, every single thing I uh, okay, um, I, a really basic example is that I set my own work hours mm-hmm. and that fundamentally shifts the way I am able to be a daughter and a friend and a girlfriend. It fundamentally shifts the way I am able to be more productive because if I have a, a sp- spark of uh, energy or creativity, I can work right through that and then sleep the whole next day and I am my own boss and I have the opportunity to back myself and like sort of invest in myself and trust myself that I can shape every single working day in a way that will actually mean that I'm making the most of my talents and my abilities and also my like weaknesses um I find that um I don't use the word lightly but I have like slightly manic tendencies Mm -hmm. where in every month I go through extreme periods of productivity and also just positivity and being like feeling superhuman in what I can get done and what I'm capable of and then all of a sudden I need to go and be not around people for three days in a row yeah um and when I am able to structure my life around that part of my personality I can get so much more done and I'm a nicer human being and I'm more proud of the work that I create it just yeah everything is changed now yeah yeah so you're, you're a self-made woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I, I guess so well with a lot of help yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a crowdsourced self-made <laughs> yeah um Ghost, I guess starting at the start, it, Hot Chicks, was that your first sort of, was that the start of your self-makingness three years ago? Or mm. was there something before then? Um, well, that's a really good question. Uh, the start really, I guess, prop, truly, not properly, but truly, <laughs> would have been, I lived overseas in 2011. I was living in China for a whole year on exchange mm-hmm. as part of my undergrad. Yeah. yeah. You have a uh, yeah. degree in Mandarin, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and while I was over there, I just started a random travel blog so that basically so that my friends and family back home would know what I was doing. And it was, um, I was very interested in photojournalism at the time. And I did not even realize that writing was a career option, potential at all whatsoever. And then just over a whole year of writing, I realized that I loved it. And 
I look back and the stuff that I wrote at the beginning was heinously shitty, shitty writing and the stuff at the end was still pretty awful but at least significantly better. <laughs> like it was something that I was getting better at. Um, and that was when I realised also that if I didn't write for a week or two, I would start getting nightmares and feel like this weird clammy bottle up feeling, which I'm currently feeling right now. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's when I realized that I liked writing. I got back, finished the last two years of my law degree, but the whole time was sort of like, "Mm, nah, there's something else that has embedded itself somewhere under my skin that I don't really want to ignore. Um, I started Hot Chicks with Big Brains. It was purely an interview series, an idea that I started to trick women into letting me into their homes. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a good strategy. Yeah, just like, like oh, I'm, I run an interview series that's for successful women. Let me talk to you. <laughs> and it worked. Um, and so, I don't know. I, when I graduated from law school... I knew that I had my job lined up and it was a 12 month contract and I told myself that I would spend those 12 months working but also building my portfolio Mm -hmm. and building hot chicks with big brains and that if by the end of 12 months I had enough to show for it that I would let myself make the switch and give myself 10 years. So by the end of it, I um, in like two or three weeks before I finished that work contract, I won the Cat Musket Fellowship. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we decided that we were in a position to um, take Hot Chicks with Big Brains physical, like make the first issue of the magazine, and that went incredibly well. And so I was like, well, I'm 20... What was I, 24? Who? I don't know. I, I yeah, know. I don't even... Me either. I'm 25 now, so I would have been like 23, 24. Anyway, I was like, all right, I'll give it 10 years. It, I'll give my writing. 10 mm. years and if I turn 30 or even 35 that's still young enough to sort of go oh well that pipe dream didn't work out because <laughs> you're still getting admitted to be a yes. qualified lawyer correct yeah, yeah that's what like you're working a, on semi like at the fortnight in a fortnight yeah yeah I'll be admitted cool so I'll be a lawyer cool yeah. um as part of your residency if we have you back for another residency will you defend me in court <laughs> Um, for all of my crimes. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good. Um, (laughs) But I will certainly appear pro bono for the delightful people who live next door and won't let people at House Conspiracy do things that are entirely within their legal rights to do so. Yeah, look, um, Mm. we could do a whole podcast on... Uh, the insufficiencies of noise and event law in Queensland, mm, um, mm. which actually might be interesting down the line. Um, but anyway, we'll store that away. I actually wanted to go back to something you said, like, I don't know, 20 minutes ago, um, uh, which was about you're working on a uh, series called Memoir at Any Age, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And you're a 25-year-old writing mm. memoir. Mm. Um What's, what's that like? Do you ever sort of encounter people like questioning your legitimacy? Do you ever sort of, do you think there's a stigma there? Is that what this series is partially trying to do is fight that stigma? I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had some heinous comments thrown at me. Um, yeah. I, re- I wrote an article actually for Kill Your Darlings maybe six months ago or so um, about like, you know, stop shitting on me because I'm writing a memoir. <laughs> like, yeah, people just say things like, um, oh, don't you have to have done something with your life to be writing a memoir? Which is 
stupid. I think also that I only get comments like that from people who aren't in the creative or writing industry. And so I think what that suggests is, I mean, not only a bit of ageism and probably a good dash of misogyny, um, but also that people have this idea that memoir is like life autobiography and can't wrap their heads around the idea that a young woman would be having done enough in her life to write a memoir about but what they don't understand is that the genre can span you can write a memoir about a single day you can write memoir about an entire life um and so my memoir um goes for about a year a year and a half um, during which a fuck ton of stuff happens. Like, Cause it's about your work in the legal industry. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I mean, that's the tricky thing as well is that, uh, I'm not ashamed at all. I have no issues with the word memoir. I'm, I'm taking that and wearing it proudly, mm-hmm. but I think that pe- for what my book actually is, it's better understood as narrative nonfiction because it's about, it's not, I use my personal journey through that job in order to make points about sexism in the justice system so um yes it's written in first person from my perspective and what i'm seeing and hearing but um it's not sort of a you know memoir in the traditional sense that i think most non-writers or non-creatives would think of when they hear the word memoir yeah so there's like a distinct difference between your memoir and something like lion attack um say yeah well i mean even lion attack was like if anything that would be closer to mine because i lion attack was so lion attack by oliver mole um was like a period in his life Mm. you know it wasn't like although it did have flashbacks and stuff yeah the flashback i I guess i mean sort of in terms of while yours while that was very much a battle life, yours is you're using your life as a vehicle for a topic, or are you yes, using the topic no. as a vehicle for your life. Which one is it? Yeah, well, both. Both. Yeah. It changes a little bit, okay. um, and uh, no, you're right. Yeah, Oliver's was very um, about and for and by him. Mm. Um, I can say with absolute confidence, not that it makes it any better or any worse or any more or less yeah, valid, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, absolutely not. But I would not be writing Eggshell Skull unless I had some critical points to make about the society in which we live. Mm. And that actually reminds me, I think that was our very first conversation was at a Hot Chicks with Big Brains salon that I went to because our mutual Mm. friend Grace was reading. Oh yeah, at Avid Reader. Yeah, at Avid Reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we spoke a little bit about memoir as activism. Mmm. Yeah. Well, I mean... Speak on that. (laughs) Ah... I feel like when I go out and tell people that I'm writing a memoir, and not just that I'm writing a memoir, but that I have a book deal to write a memoir mm-hmm. that will be published. Yes. Um, Probably. <laughs> hey! <laughs> um, I feel like when I go out and say that, I feel that I am in a gentle way or mild way, like reclaiming that word for young people and also for women Mm -hmm. because of exactly what you said and exactly those comments that I get all the time like this idea that 
I couldn't possibly have lived through anything or seen or have opinions about anything worth filling a book with. Um, and one of my friends who's an incredible writer, Laura Vashti, she was um, writing a book, or I think collecting stories for an anthology about motherhood. And she kept running into people who were like, oh, but so much has been you know, written about motherhood. Do we really need another book by moms? Like, oh, babies. And she was like, shut the fuck up. Well, to paraphrase, shut the <laughs> fuck up. How many books have been written about war? How many books are written about fucking tanks and jet plane engines? Like, there is no... Ugh, there's just... Uh, to think that... It's the same way that the literature industry treats romance and genre fiction writers like shit. Mm. And it's the same reason that we pay childcare workers so shit. It's inextricably connected to the kind of work being gendered. And I think um, for a lot of people in their minds to see a woman writing memoir is like, ugh, another woman like writing about herself and like women's issues that's so like self-indulgent or something and I just like get fucked. I actually want to lock in on that because I think this could be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Do you do you find the idea of, you know, you mentioned the word there, women's issues. Do you find sort of the idea of like things being categorized as women's writing to be sort of self-defeating maybe? I don't know. How so? Like like I guess I guess in the way that like there's a Stella Prize that's just for women. Mm. Um, and I know I was speaking to um, I don't know if I want to out her, but I was speaking to a, a well-published author yep. um, about the, the Stella Prize, and she said that winning it would feel weird because she'd only beaten half the people. Mm. Um, and, and I guess, I guess like, do you, do you think, and, like, this is totally, not, not, not necessarily my opinion, but this is something that I've heard voiced and I think would be interesting for you to speak on because you know about this way mm. more than me. Um, do you think that having, having this sort of, quote-unquote segregation do you do you think that it's a sort of segregation or do you think that it's a sort of empowerment like do you think that it's ultimately there might be an element of self-defeat there or do you think that people who sort of claim that are idiots um any critical thinking about gender is welcome any discussion about that is always to be encouraged but I think that that is a narrow viewing of what the Stella Prize was established to do and what, in my opinion, it does achieve, mm -hmm. which is that they've proven, like, part of the Stella Prize work is evidence-based advocacy and gathering data and information about the underrepresentation of women in the, um, in writing awards and, like, um, you know, things that are, uh, what do you call that? Like when someone is like gets some kind of achievement, some kind of acknowledgement, yeah. like professional acknowledgement, yeah, yeah, yeah. and how so? Like comparing the rates of females who write books to the rates of females who are award recipients, which there's just absolutely bullshit correlation. And so what they've been able to show is that since the Stella Prize began, not like not only obviously women are winning more prizes because of the Stella, like because yeah, yeah, yeah. the Stella Prize now counts, especially in Australia, but also that more women are nominated and winning other major literary prizes that are not gender specific. Okay. So um, when I say that um, that person's 
whoever said that to you when I say that that's like a narrow viewing of the situation I don't mean that they're narrow-minded no I understand yeah, it's that I there's an that extra context around yes, the stellar price absolutely. and what it's doing yeah, yeah okay I, I haven't I haven't yeah. had that before so um but I mean yeah. like for what that does for women that's mm. uh, I mean that's amazing exactly like, and like I don't think I would have read the natural way of things yeah, not been for which the is and it's a like great book. the best book ever. Yeah, <laughs> is, it, is it one of your favorites? Absolutely. Yeah. So I actually recently I was asked by Writers Block to pick like one. It was for like International Women's Day, and they were like they're collecting opinions from a bunch of different female identifying writers about like which one book they would recommend for women to read. And like I'm a nonfiction writer predominantly, and I read predominantly nonfiction, but I just if I'm true to myself, like that book was a turning point for me in realizing the power of like literature. I think it also came a point, came at a time in my life when I was like halfway through my um, contract in the law and like still sort of toing and froing about whether I was about to make a huge mistake um, and struggling with a lot of the sexist shit that I saw in the legal system and, and a really tough job. Um, and that book, I read it and it just, I'll never forget the like visceral impact it had on me. Like a sort of bleak catharsis. Yeah, it was just, I don't know, like, like I, it's, it's really hack, but I get the feeling sometimes when I'm writing and it's good writing, I feel like I'm like bleeding out onto the page. Like I really yeah. feel like that. Like and Hemingway. I don't, yeah. Well, I don't care how like, <laughs> I don't care how cliche it is. Like that's how I feel. Mm. Um, but when I was reading that book, I had somehow a similar feeling where a part of me was just like. It was like bloodletting or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You felt like you were reading someone else's blood. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you do you find that the bleeding onto the page? Do you think that that do you think that's especially true for memoir writers? Like, have you ever written fiction and has it been the same experience? Have you like sort of exclusively been a non-fictiony person? Um. Because you don't have any published fiction, do you? No, no. Um. Uh, if everything goes to plan, my second book will be fiction. Mm-hmm. I know what it's, you know, broadly going to be about, but I don't know if I'm any good at it or not. Yeah. I think that I... I think that... Okay, so... One thing that people say quite often is that um, you need to a few years to get all your shit writing out of you. Yes. Um, for me, a lot of that happened when I was in China blogging. Mm-hmm. Um and probably the equivalent of more than one year because I was writing a lot every single day. Um, and I only got the shit writing out of me in nonfiction. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. like, I'm a little bit afraid to put pen to paper with fiction because I, I think it's realistic to say that... Um, whilst certainly like anything else I've ever tried, you can get better at it over time. Probably the first chunk that I would write would be really shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm in the exact opposite boat. Um, right. My, my See, non- that's so interesting. Yeah, my nonfiction fucking sucks. Sucks, I know. <laughs> I write short stories. I'm like, what is this vomit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I write an essay. I'm like, I'm just going to put those numbers at the top of each paragraph because these are not connected. But if I call it a list essay... <laughs> 
people will find their own profundity, maybe. Mm. Um, which is uh, not true. Um, oh boy. Yeah, and I yeah. don't think it's coincidence. Like this idea that I've been brewing up for ages about what my second book will be mm. and its fiction is like also really connected to like a few like historical things yeah. and a few concepts and themes that I know I'll be able to research because I think for me that'll be like a bit of a runway, like, like a soft, yeah, yeah, like an anchor or like a soft start as well. Like I can do a bunch of the research and get you know get the facts and get the, the right feeling on paper before i like try and vomit out the rest because i know i know i know i know what the idea is and i can confirm it's a good idea <laughs> um do you do you want to talk on it or is it under wraps until you've sort of figured it out uh, i don't know i don't really mind um well what i i don't even did i tell you it's about miniatures yeah yeah, yeah. yeah okay uh no, I'm no, not going to say no, anything. All right, um, I haven't even told my publisher Brindley's about it. Brindley's second book <laughs> is called Miniatures, and it'll be out in 2019. Oh my god, 2019. <laughs> August is a year away. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Nah. I just don't. I don't know. I'm one book at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so... Also, if I start writing it and it's real shit, I just... <laughs> to be able to throw it in the bin and pretend I was always working on this other true crime thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 that's fine. Anyway. Um, craft a niche. Yeah. Um, hey, we were, we were, we were talking earlier about how, um, you're grumpy today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, I guess like I kind of wanted to not ask you why you're grumpy, right? This isn't a therapy podcast. Um, but also like we, we both obviously do a lot of administrative yep. business stuff. Yep. Um, sort of, yeah, you with Hot Chicks, mm. House Conspiracy, or I think as you drunkenly referred to me at the Hot Chicks launch, hey, it's another busy person. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah um, what do you, how do you, how do you find that Balance. Do you find that being the manager of particularly something arts related mm. is not disempowering, that's the wrong word, but is sort of exhausting almost because you're around it a lot and makes it harder to then retreat to your own practice or do you not find that at all? Um, I find it exhausting. I don't find it disempowering. I find it... Um... So I talk about this idea that like across those three things that I do and with hot chicks with big brains being more and more um, like editorial yeah but like more like managey and businessy and mm. spreadsheety um, and meetingsy and emailsy oh, um, so uh, emails yeah so I feel that I feel a great sense of satisfaction when things go right and I have this awareness that I am running a business that mm -hmm. is doing well and growing yeah. and I get a great sense of satisfaction from facilitating the kind of stories that are sh obviously non-fiction but the stories that are shared in the magazine is it all non-fiction yeah. yeah um we actually just got a poetry submission yesterday and I was like mm -mm. Mm. like this is you've clearly you've, never read our yeah, magazine yeah precisely um that's okay <laughs> look it's fine yeah people need places for their work yeah um but I I get a great sense of satisfaction from feeling that from from that facilitator role but I know for sure that I would not feel that positivity if I did not have my own writing as like a completely separate like discrete um you know uh, facet of my life 
Mm. Um, and like <laughs> the reason I'm grumpy today is because like wonderful things have been happening for hot chicks with big brains that are keeping me really, really busy. But it means that I haven't been able to work on my book for a long time now, like many weeks in a row. Um, and I can just feel myself like that feeling um, that I realized I had at the end of living in China when my blog stopped. But I, I, I have this feeling like, um, like too many zigger beans inside me and that's like okay for a few days but then after several weeks it's like I, I really miss the writing and I need to do it and I'm worried that I'm not a very pleasant person to live with if I haven't been able to write properly not freelancing not hot chicks management stuff I mean mm -hmm. like writing writing yeah. for a while um, and so I, yeah I speak about this idea of a pendulum because I'm like constantly trying to aim for a balance between these three parts of what I do um, but it always ends up like a pendulum swinging where what you're aiming for is this idea of like stillness with a pendulum like sitting balanced in the middle but what you end up with is like a swooping from left to right and sometimes when I work on my book exclusively for a fortnight and then what's happening now which is where it's been Hot more than brains. a fortnight of hot chicks with big brains and also a lot of freelancing because I moved house and then had like one million bills and stuff so yeah. I just needed to drum up a bit of extra work and so I'm trying to remember that thing that I mentioned at the start which is that I got away from a normal full-time job because I didn't want to know exactly what was going to be happening week to week or day to day um, and so in a lot of ways I am grateful for the pendulum um, I just hope that it starts swinging back the other way <laughs> soon. Like, and I think that's how gravity works, so you yeah. should be okay. Yeah. Um, speaking to the, the mania sort of stuff that you brought up mm. earlier, do you find that that still works well for you on a business level, or is that like a largely creative outlet thing? What happens when you're in a business period and that sort of energy does spike up for you? Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, I think the main difference when we talk about handling that mania um, in combination with business is that um, that's when other people are involved. Mm. So the biggest difference with something like Hot Chicks and Big Brains is that I have my business partner, the art director, and my best friend, Anna Apuli, who does Hot Chicks with me. Um, and um, like sometimes I have to be careful because if I'm in an upswing I'm too demanding of her because I'm awake at all hours and, yep. and just can't switch my brain off yep. sending emails at 2am yeah oh yeah like yeah. can you just can you please get back to this so that I can forward it on um but then the opposite is true where um if I'm having a down period and she's like hey well, what's happening I thought this blog deadline was today and I like and not even just Anna but like other contributors and people who we have um sometimes we have reporting requirements to um that's the main difference is that I've never and that's why I I don't um I say mania but with absolute um distinction from any people who live with or suffer from actual yeah. manic depression manic yeah because um, one thing that I have realized that I can do is that if I'm in a low slump so far I've been able to basically keep living my life um, without missing deadlines or meetings with other people that that's like that's the extent that I can get to um, and if I'm in a low slump for even one or two weeks my 
internal landscape will look like shit and I won't get any of my own work done and I won't be able to do any of my own laundry or cook my meals or whatever but I've never been so um, broken down to the point where I can't keep meetings Mm. Um, but it's definitely a struggle and there's just such a difference there between getting work done on a downward slump when it's your own work or when it's work that involves in any way shape or form other people like that's a real struggle for sure and I mean that's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful that I run Hot Chicks with Big Brains with Anna because we're best mates Mm. Um, and so I think that she and I work well together because we also have known each other for literally 20 years and we understand each other yeah Um, yeah so like I mean there are great things about there are shit things about trying to run a business with your best mate yeah. and then there are some really fundamental amazing things so. yeah, yeah yeah I mean I'm against same boat right running yeah. with cinnamon um, but staying on staying on topic I guess um, oh, cinnamon and Lewis sorry Lewis um, <laughs> staying on topic there what what a sort of like you, you've mentioned that you you know you, you have ways of coping and you've been very good at like staying on with other people's expectations and yes. whatnot um, which I think is just super important um, and yeah, I find myself in a similar boat a lot. What are the strategies? I guess, do you have like specific strategies that you use? Do you, are there, are there ways that you sort of keep yourself accountable? Um, um hmm. or is it just sort of determination and strong will? I think that I floundered for many years when I just ref- re- not refused, but didn't realize or understand or reckon with this mania when I just couldn't understand why sometimes I would be like so physically lethargic that I could not get out of bed like non-optional and I went to sleep and it was fine and then I just tried to wake up and my eyelids wouldn't open like and and then um until about sort of two or three years ago being like oh but sometimes I can work right through till 3 a.m why can't I do that now like Coming to understand that part of my personality over a lot of time, um, I just try to be really grateful on the highs and feel really like proud of what I can achieve on the highs and, uh, and run with it um, and make sure that I reflect on what I achieved during the highs and sort of keep that in a bank and then reflect on that during the lows and say that, and when I look back over any sort of given three month period, I can say, even if there have been more lows than normal or something, I can look back and say, well, overall, I'm still really proud of what I've achieved. This happens to be my, I don't know, natural state of being where it's like ups and downs, but holy shit, look at what I got done during the ups. I'm okay with that, so let's figure out a way that we can make the downs bearable, maybe even, like, calming and enjoyable and use them as a time to, like, recuperate and refocus. Do you you see... Like, I know you're not a clairvoyant. That's not one of your (laughs) things that you did at Bachelor. I wish. (laughs) Yeah, right, that'd be great. It makes spreadsheets so much easier because they'd already be done. Mm. Um, You're right, and if I had clairvoyancy, I would use them for that heinous task of spreadsheeting. Oh my God, that's all I would use my clairvoyance for. If I had, like, three genie wishes. Yeah, one of them would be be emails and the other one would be spreadsheeting. (laughs) Um... 
that's too yeah. much of a dream. Well, but um, in terms of the clairvoyancy, do you see? Do you see? In the future, like, do you see yourself? Do you see yourself currently, I guess, on a trajectory towards becoming more stable? Are you working towards that, or is it kind of an element of accepting that that's the way your brain chemistry, neuro neurochemistry works? Definitely the second one, mm -hmm. acceptance, because that's the only way I've been able to get through the downtimes is not trying to fight that, not feeling. And obviously, this is highly personal to me, um, mm. but I think during those years when I tried to fit my personality into an idea of what um, air quotes regular people's lifestyles look like yeah. any if I had any feeling like that was the ideal or that that was something that I should be aiming for and working towards then I would feel that the highs and the lows are somehow failings on the way to achieving that more air quotes normal lifestyle for me to be happy with what I'm doing, which I am, like when I look back at the last three months, I'm happy, I'm proud of what I've been able to achieve. I can only do that if I have an acceptance that this is who I am and this is the way my life happens to be going. And does this, does this sort of thing, this thing comes up in your process? Can we expect to read it in your memoir at all? Or is the memoir very much largely legally focused? Will it come through? It'll probably come through. I mean... It'll come through because one of the things I struggled with during that year was um, being in a very demanding job that had rigid requirements for hours and effort that did not line up with what I felt like were my natural rhythms. Um, and basically the book is just like, me like scratching my eyeballs out <laughs> for yeah. a year trying to see if I enjoyed and and like I loved studying law and I'm so grateful for my legal education and studying and graduating from law school was the best thing I ever did for my writing um but and, and I tried I really tried to see if a legal career was what I wanted I still think that I could have been good at the bar and I'm not ruling that out for the future but um yeah I guess in the book it'll come through not so much just with the ups and downs, but more broadly with um, just like the legal industry and me in many, in a myriad of ways, yeah. <laughs> not fitting yeah. that. Yeah, 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 because I guess, I guess that's the nature of memoir, like even though yours is maybe more issue other focused. Mm. It's, like, it's, like, it's like how they say a lot of criticism tends to tell you more about the critic than the work. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Well, you'll read this book and be like, oh, maybe she's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. Buddy's not yeah. a boy's name. <laughs> Why does she keep noticing all this shit stuff that happens to women? Yeah. 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 I only read books by men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, when, when's your book out? Oh, good question. Next year sometime. Next year sometime. And it's yep. called? Eggshell Skull. Cool. By Alan and Unwin. By Alan and Unwin and Breely. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah by me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Unless Allegedly. you're just the sum total of every experience that, you know. Mm. Oh, but also, pending when this podcast comes out, um, we're open for submissions for issue three of Hot Cheeks with Big Brains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this will be out um, in the next week. So, sick. what's your Get closing date? Uh, end of March. Well, uh, 
Friday 17th of March for pitches and then the end of March for full submissions. And please, 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 we only take nonfiction, but also like, please send me ideas for interviews and conversations. Like that's the core of what we do. And I get so many um, like memoir personal essay pitches, which is amazing, but just like that's, that's not the majority of what we do. And also photographers, we always need good photographers. Anyway, just send me your stuff. Yeah, and that's uh, March 2017 for those people listening <laughs> <laughs> to this in the deep, deep future. future. Um, when you try to figure out how this whole house conspiracy thing went yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah. When you're doing the autopsy on the space. Yeah. Um, this is a 2017 podcast. Yeah. Or if I've like done some spectacular active masochism in my book tour of eggshell skull and you're like well let's go back a year and find out what happened (laughs) (laughs) this this is a time document for either Brie or I cark it hey if you if you on your tour um, commit like some terrible crime will you represent yourself in court (laughs) no oh my gosh let this be my only and lasting piece of legal advice Mm -hmm. never represent yourself in court wait okay why is that because, oh my, oh, where do I even, okay, it'd be like, oh, my car's broken down. I can do that. Ignore the fact that people train to be mechanics for years and that that's a special area of expertise and that you can hurt yourself and fuck up your car if you just start tinkering with it. Like, the law is an asshole and it's annoying and it's, problematic all over the place and it sucks and it's not always fair um and the best thing you can do for yourself is find yourself a champion who understands how shit it is and how it works because unless you've been to law school and worked in the profession you don't know just yeah sorry we see self-represented litigants so often and it's heartbreaking because Mm -hmm. they don't know um and it's sucks but if you don't have enough money we have services available for that i mean a frustrating thing is that there's a loophole where you need to be like really poor to get legal aid um but you can't get good legal representation unless you have a lot of money so if you fall somewhere in the middle absolutely that's really tricky but try every avenue before you try to represent yourself because it's bad juju because you need a professional who knows what they're doing. Like Brie Lee, who worked in the legal service <laughs> and, and wrote a book called Eggshell Skull, which will be out next year. Um, hey, thanks. thanks. This has been a good chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the House Conspiracy podcast recorded at House Conspiracy. If you have feedback or you want to say hi or if there's something you'd like to see us do, you can email us at house at houseconspiracy.org and you can email me directly about ideas for future podcasts at jonathan at houseconspiracy.org. You can also support us by becoming a member or by donating to us at houseconspiracy.org slash donate. See you next time.